Hello and welcome to the Wedding Dish Podcast. Grab your fork and knife and take a seat at our table as we dish on all things weddings. You'll hear stories and tips from real couples and wedding pros about love, life, and entrepreneurship. I am Sarah Alipin. I am the host of The Wedding Dish and the CEO of Photos from the Hardy and District Bliss. And today, my co-host, Clouseau, the French Bulldog, is taking a nap in the sun. Um, You'll probably hear him snoring at some point, per usual. I am very excited to be dishing with a really special guest today who had a totally unique wedding that really, I think, will apply to a lot of other people's experiences in ways that we maybe don't always think about. Um, So I'd like to welcome Elise. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to dish. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Um, So we were talking a little bit before we hopped on here, and um, Elise sent me the story of how she met her husband and um, how how they got engaged. And I will be sharing those on the show notes because they are fabulous and they're super detailed and they made me laugh out loud several times. Um, (laughs) But I want to dive right in for your wedding because you did so many cool things and I want to make sure we have time to cover all of it. Okay, sounds good. All right. So you got married in Maine, right? Yeah, we got married in Maine um, on the lake where my parents live. Not at their property, but at a different property on their same lake. Oh, that's amazing. What lake is it, out of curiosity? Um, it's called – I almost forgot for a second. It's called Mercurti Pond. Okay. I guess it's – technically it's a pond. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's an important differentiator there. In Maine, this is these are important details. <laughs> my um, my husband went to Bowdoin. Oh, okay, so yeah, yeah, which is in Maine for those of you who don't know. So he and his friends um, go up to Moosehead Lake every year. Yeah. Oh, that's a great spot. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. Amazing. Um. So you had um. A couple things that I thought were super cool. Um, first of all, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your guest list. You had 75 guests who um, who were able to join you all in Maine to celebrate. Um, how did you keep your guest list to that side? How did you decide who you were inviting? Um, and would you make any changes in that, um, you know, now that you're a few years past your um, wedding? Yeah, we really wanted to have it be a very intimate experience. I had this sense that I wanted to look out like at all the people there and just really feel like they were my closest, most safest kind of people in my life. Um, and um, my husband's family and friends, most of them live in Argentina. Um, that's where he's from. And so he had just kind of a, a handful of people who could come. And then my family, um, is not the biggest family ever, but took up, I would say most of the guest list. Um, and then I had, um, you know, my group, my, my friends there as well. And it was, it was hard because I, we were creeping up to 75 and I was like, Oh, like that just, it was getting, it was feeling very big for me. Um, and, uh, so we, you know, kind of had to make some hard decisions. (laughs) And now looking back, I think that, I think that was right for me. However, there are some people that do come to mind that I was just starting to form relationships with or had relationships in like sort of different sectors of my life, like maybe more a business type relationship or something that at that point in time um, felt like that was really their category for, for lack of a better way to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but now they have like developed into more lifelong friendships. And so I do wish that I had maybe thought to expand it a little bit more 
But at the same time, I knew that I really, I didn't want to feel like I was performing. And I wanted to just feel like everyone who was there would be someone who would like be able to have my back no matter what happened um, or anything. So, you know, I do feel good about it, but there are those few people that I'm kind of like, oh, I really wish that they had been there. Yeah. And it's so hard because you can't always predict the way that you feel later. Um, you know, I, I, we didn't really bring anyone ex- outside of our family to our wedding. So, um, but I, you know, we didn't want to have, we had a micro wedding before micro weddings were cool (laughs) or a thing. Necessary. Yeah. Necessary. Yeah. Um, Air quotes, cool. You know, the thing that you do because you have to do it or, you know, you get to do because it just happened that way. Um, But I totally understand that like, There were some people that I wished I could have invited, but if I opened it up, I knew it would open up to be so much bigger right away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then there were just some space constraints as well. Like it, the venue that we had um, actually wasn't like a proper wedding venue. It was um, someone we just knew on the, on the lake, on the pond, excuse me. Um, (laughs) Um, who just had this amount of land in a little guest house. Um, so it wasn't like, um, you know, this sort of place that's very used to having that amount of people on it. And um, so we had to take that into consideration as well, that like, you know, it, it wasn't really set up to be this huge wedding venue. Yeah, that makes a really big difference because there are considerations there like bathrooms. Um, and, you know, once as you expand out um, and as it gets to be later in the evening, then people have to, you know, you end up with lines at the bathroom. And that can be a really, um, I've been to some smaller venues where that's been problematic uh, for me as a photographer because I get a very small window of time where I get to like go use the restroom. <laughs> Yeah, and um, and I would imagine if you just don't realize there would be a line that other people that are guests would run into that too. But there are a lot of just like pieces that go into having an unofficial venue spot or not something that is used to handling that volume of people, um, where you can bump into you know as a as a person who's getting married, it's not like you're doing this over and over and over again like you purchase on Amazon, you know? It's you don't you're not used to having to problem solve all the things because you haven't done it a hundred times, you know? Exactly. Yeah. It's like every single thing is the first the first time. And you saying that about the bathrooms actually makes me uh, remember a story that I I hadn't mentioned to you before that I think we did get to outhouses um, because there wasn't a bathroom. (laughs) Um, And I apologize. I don't remember the full story. My mom would be able to tell me, Um, but (laughs) one of them, because I think they kind of like didn't want me to be concerned about what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I'm pretty sure that one of the outhouses, like there, like something happened and, and it was, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but like something went down with one of the outhouses. <laughs> it was like, then it was just one for everybody. So exactly to what you're saying, it's like, it just wasn't set up for that. Yeah. Many that makes total sense. And it's, I'm guessing it was a pretty rural location as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. So Let's jump backward a little bit. You had six months to do all of your planning. Yes. (laughs) Which is a very bold choice. (laughs) I would love to hear about how your experience was with that um, and if there's anything you would have changed about that, if you would have changed the amount of time you gave yourselves to plan or if it felt like the right fit for you all. It felt like the right fit. I just have no other reason than I just didn't want to be planning a wedding forever for what felt like forever. And we, um, we didn't have any reason that we needed to get wedding at that. I mean, get married at that particular 
time, like for us as a couple, other than we were just trying to get um, my husband's family to be able to um, come here. I'm pretty sure that was actually the first flight out of Argentina that his parents had ever been on. Oh my Um, goodness. Yeah. I don't believe that they had left the country before. Um, So it was, it was more like finding the right time for that to happen. And then also um, we weren't set on Maine right away. We were thinking perhaps we would have some sort of destination halfway point um, wedding. But then when we really like looked into that a little bit, we realized that it would kind of be like just as much like since they were, you know, there were, I think 10 people, um, coming from, um, Argentina and, you know, compared to like the 65 (laughs) people who live somewhere in the States. And there were also people from a couple other countries that came, but you know, just from one here and one there. Um, and so we just realized like it, it, it wouldn't have made that big of a difference to like have a destination wedding where we would meet them halfway and then everybody else would also have to travel um, very far. So we just decided to go the main route. And then I think when we did that, we were just like summer because summer makes sense in Maine. And then um, we were just like, we knew we didn't want to do it in a year and a half. That would have felt like way too long for planning for me. Um, And so we were just like, okay, this summer, let's go. (laughs) And I do have to give major shout out to my mom because, um, you know, we were living in Brooklyn, New York at the time and she was living in Maine. And, um, so, you know, we just had such a help in that. I think I would have been so much more overwhelmed and maybe the six months would have felt too short if I was truly doing it on my own. But, you know, she was like, meeting vendors, figuring out venues and stuff like that. So that, I think that was probably the reason why the six months felt fine. That's awesome. That's so nice that she was like willing to do that, that she, it sounds like she was excited to do it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's really sweet. I'm so glad that you had that support system. That's really important in planning, you know, some... Some people there are not that lucky, so I'm super yeah. glad you were. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I I would have been completely overwhelmed otherwise. I think because um, even now, just thinking about like making a huge party like that, even if it doesn't have the title of wedding, um, it just it's a really big job and responsibility. Like it's you just there's so much decision making. Um, and I think I, I I did get to a point where it was just like I felt like the decisions were flying in, and I it was almost a moment of growth I think because I just had to like look at that decision and be like boom like yes no maybe we'll talk about it next week like do 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 you know just like because there's just so much yeah yeah there is and again it is. It is not something you're doing on a regular basis. It's not like some it's not like what you do for work where you're just you know, okay, I open my email, I do this in the morning and then I like do this and this and this and these are, you know, then I make a spreadsheet or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's some it's like making a spreadsheet but never having made a spreadsheet before and working two jobs at once because most likely you're still doing your normal life. And then you have that whole thing, which is like a full-time job on top of what you're already doing. So yeah, it's like a lot. Yeah. I actually have seen a lot. And there are a lot of people that go into wedding planning after they do their wedding because they have all that found time and they're like, well, I loved doing my wedding. So now like maybe I'll make it a career and, you know, some of them stick and stay and some of them end up doing it for a short period of time and then moving on. Um, but it you you make time from nowhere to do it. It's yeah. really interesting how you're able to kind of pull that out. Um, and then afterward, you just have all this extra time to <laughs> fill with wine and <laughs> celebration. Yes, yes. <laughs> and coffee with friends. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's awesome. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your dress. Um, so finding your dress, you mentioned, was kind of a challenging process. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think it was um, challenging. It, it surprised me that it was challenging. I don't think I had ever really put too much thought into it whatsoever. Like I wasn't, I was never really the type of person that was fantasizing about a wedding or imagining what it would look like. So it was sort of like just starting from right then. And um, I was like, okay, just I guess you go to some, you look at the pictures and magazines and stuff, and then you go try stuff on. Um, and what I found, which is not so surprising now that I'm hearing myself process it, but is like the pictures look very different on models in magazines than they do when you put them on your body and in, you know, the bright lights of the fitting room. Um, and I felt um, that that was really hard. I mean, you know, I, I do work with people in body image and, and movement. And so I am coming from a place where I myself have gone through my own journey, but I'm very comfortable in my skin. I'm very confident in my body. So it wasn't necessarily like I was um, like – uh, judging myself or, or getting hard on myself, which I know can sometimes happen, but it was almost more like a, um, I felt like it was sort of like a smoke and mirrors type of a thing. <laughs> like I was just totally. like, wait, this doesn't like, that's not an accurate representation of what the dress is when it's on. And, um, you know, of course that would be different for everyone's body, but, um, I just found that really hard and, and it goes, you know, even into like what the materials feel like and how they drape and the, the temperature and just the comfort of movement. I knew that I wanted to be really, really comfortable and I wanted to like not be thinking about it all day. I just like, that was the thing. I was like, I just want to get dressed and I want to be like, check, I got dressed. I look great. And then not think about it for the rest of the time. Um, and then when I started getting into it a little bit, my only like couple requirements were, um, not strapless and not lace though. That's what I went into my searching process with. And that was like, those were the only two things. And sure enough, I ended up with a strapless lace dress. Um, <laughs> Because of course, <laughs> because because of course. Um, but the cool thing was, I think for my um, unique body, and I'm sure this could be helpful for a lot of people, is I ended up finding a place um, in LA, which is where my sister was living at the time. So we went together, which was also just really fun. Um, and um, this designer had separates that. Um, so you could mix and match tops and bottoms, and then he would um, put it together as a dress. So it wasn't the, you know, because I know that's sometimes trendy too, like actually having two separate pieces, but it, it was a dress, but you could just mix and match, like kind of like old school doll style. Um, and that ended up working out because then I could, you know, really, and he also, so I have a pretty short um, torso. And so then he, um, uh, just made it on me basically. Um, so that was really helpful. Um, and it, it, I did like it toward, towards love it. I wouldn't say I'm crazy about it, but at the same time, it was like, I got it. It fit. It served the purpose of like me not thinking about it throughout the day, which is great. I felt, I felt good in it. And like, I just kind of have to be like, that's enough. <laughs> and then um, a another cool thing is a friend of mine told me about um, a place in 
New York. I'll have to find the name for you after um, that. You can donate your dress. Um, and so it's like both sort of like a, a used dress shop, but then also they donate all the money to um, schools in need or something like that. I'll have to look at the details for you. But um, so that in the end, I just let it go. Like I did not feel like I needed to hold on to it. Um, so I let it go. And, and then that felt great. That, you know, that's an important piece. All of that, all of these things are important pieces, but it is nice when you are giving something up that you spent so much time, energy finding and getting and money um, that at least it's going to a good cause in the end. That makes a huge difference. Um, To go back to what you were saying about dresses not looking the same, even if, and this is true across whatever the model's body size or type is, it is not going to look the same in those bright lights that are high contrast. Your eyes are always going to look dark underneath in the in those lights, um, unfortunately. Um, if you have roots, they will be brought out as yeah. much as possible in those lights because it's the way that the coloring is in the, you know, that's just, and that's not the way you're going to look on your wedding, but the dressing room specifically is really hard to, you know, when you go from the expectation of, you know, this is a model who has a similar body shape to me, whatever that shape may be. I love this dress. I'm going to go try it on and then putting it on and thinking like, holy cow, I look awful. Um, because you're just not expecting the way the lights bring out some different things. And they're wearing like a specific shapewear under there that is meant for that dress. So whatever their size is, there's a plan that went into dressing this person from, you know, underwear all the way out. So um, that's another important piece to kind of keep in mind. Um, Even if you have shapewear on, it still might not be the right shapewear for that specific dress. So as you go into it, try to give yourself a little bit of grace in knowing like one, that's not the way you're going to look on your wedding day. It's maybe the worst you'll ever look in that dress is in the dressing room. Um, But the, um, you know, knowing that you have options to either go to another store, choose a different method or to, um, you know, like change what's underneath. Um, and also uh, another little tidbit, most of them are see-through if you don't have the right shapewear on. So There you go. Yes. <laughs> wear underwear, that is. <laughs> I think I wore like, right. you know, like an old crappy pair of underwear and then I could all I could do was think about how everyone was seeing like not – and I'm sure no one could tell that it was in my mind old and crappy. It's not like it was like right. had a giant hole somewhere everyone could see. I'm sure it was fine, but I remember feeling like, oh my god, I can't believe I wore like dark underwear. And, and everyone's just like analyzing. <laughs> yeah, like anyone's actually looking at me other than myself. Let's be real here. <laughs> but it matters like how you feel about yourself. Yeah. And that's a big piece. I mean, even like you might get cups put in and not wear a bra. Like, so even if you take your strapless bra or whatever you think might be what you're wearing under the dress, it may not end up being what you're wearing under the dress. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, on that note, we're going to take a super fast break on the wedding dish. And then we're going to bring Elise back in to talk a little bit about her actual wedding day. So we will be right back. And we are back on The Wedding Dish. I am your hostess with the mostest, Sarah Alipin, and I have with me today Elise, who is sharing all kinds of great information that I am just loving that you are, you know, sharing with our listeners. This is so fun. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Thank you so much for being here. It's been such a fun conversation already. Um, and now we're going to get down into like the real wedding day. So buckle up. Uh, all right. Here we go. Um, so 
Uh, you mentioned your husband is from Argentina um, and his family is from Argentina. So I know it, one of the things that was important for you was that making sure that everyone could under not only understand but feel included in the day. Um, so his family, I'm making an assumption here, speaks Spanish. Yes. Um, and your officiant got um, spoke in Spanish as well, correct? Yeah. So we, we really – wanted to have a bilingual ceremony. We wanted to do everything um, in both languages as much as possible um, just because, you know, it can feel really isolating if you, everyone's speaking a language that you're not comfortable with or you don't understand. And even if, you know, you're there and everybody loves you, of course, you know, it can still just be like, I've had that experience when I've been in other countries that you sort of just like go into your own world. And so I really wanted um, everyone to feel like they understood everything. Yeah. So we had, um, so um, one of our best friends um, uh, was the officiant and we had the whole ceremony laid out. So basically he just said like about a paragraph in English and then repeated it in Spanish. Um, so it ended up being, you know, probably kind of a longer ceremony, but it was really important to us, um, to do that. And, um, we also, um, included our parents in the, in the ceremony and not necessarily in the vows, but they did sort of have a part and, and they spoke as well. And I cannot take credit for that idea. I had gone to another, one of my best friend's wedding a couple weeks before that. And, um, she had done that in her wedding and I was like, Oh, that's it. Like I, so I just was like, can I steal that idea? And so we put that in. Um, and, um, so they kind of each had a, a time when they stood up and they also repeated, um, the official officiant led them through, um, repeating just kind of like how they had been the people to raise us and, you know, how they had taken care of us and nurtured us and now sort of asking them for, you know, their, um, uh, I, I want to say blessing, but that's not really the word I'm looking for. They're kind of like participation in this next phase of our families coming together. And this was the first time that our parents and our siblings met each other. Um, not exactly on the wedding day, but the wedding period, like when they arrived um, before that. So, you know, it was extra important to make it feel like, you know, that was really the reason that was one of the main reasons that we decided to get married. It's like we talked a, about it a lot before getting married um, because it wasn't something that either of us were like 100% sure on. And so it wasn't necessarily like um, something that we had to do. Um, but when we discussed it a lot, you know, merging our families was the main thing that kept on coming up. So that was really important. So um, we also just had these fans um, that we made uh, because it was July in the summer and it, the ceremony was outside and it had some phrases on it, just like kind of just some introduction phrases um, that were translated in both English and Spanish so that, you know, people could have sort of like a conversation starter or even if that was the extent of it, just a little exchange. So again, like people wouldn't feel like they were just only there by themselves or with their, the people that they knew. Um, and we also did um, we, we did, uh, the Habanagila for my side of the family, but, and then we also did a traditional, um, Argentine folk dance, um, that is sometimes done at weddings, um, for that side to incorporate both of those things. Um, so we tried to, um, just, you know, take little bits to make everybody feel included. And then one more thing I'd say about that is, um, the prep time leading up to the wedding was really special because, because my parents live so close to where we were, the location of where we were getting married. We, um, we could just go over there and, um, actually my husband and I were staying in the guest house that was on that property. So we kind of had access to it for the week before. And, um, it was just really special. Like my, my father-in-law was like, you know, 
painting signs and, you know, um, my mother-in-law was like helping me with stuff. And my brother-in-law was like setting out the chairs and like, we were all kind of doing it together. And we would, we sort of had these dance rehearsals <laughs> um, <laughs> of <laughs> practicing the dances because each one was new to the other side. Um, so we wanted people to be prepared about that. Um, and that was, you know, some of just the best memories because there's a, there's a language barrier. Um, B, you know, not everyone's comfortable dancing anyway, usually. And, um, so we were practicing and we were just be like hysterically laughing at all the, you know, misunderstandings and, and all of that stuff that would come up. So, um, yeah, those are the things that I can think of right now. I love that you made it into like a fun activity that you all could do together. So you didn't make it into like something where it's like, okay, we need to practice like doot, 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 doot. It was like laughter and light and fun. You know, it would have been easy to make it a stressful time, um, but it was you, you made it a time full of laughter. That's what I remember. I'm sure I had a little, I am sure I came to it with a, a little <laughs> stressful energy, just to be completely honest. Um, I'm sure I did, although that's not what sticks in my memory. So that's probably a good sign. Um, you know, I, I know I was like nervous for all of the above for the family's meeting, because that's usually, you know, something that happens well before that. Um, so, you know, there was like that element of it of the nervousness and then, um, you know, and then everything else. So, but I, but you're right. I do remember just laughing and our parents trying to have conversations and like they had conversations where one person was saying, like telling this whole story and the other one was like totally on a different like wavelength, but they were but at the same time, they were communicating and they actually were connecting. And so it was, it, it was, yeah, really lighthearted and fun and great to see that come together. That's really special. That's, that's really special. Yeah. Oh. And I, I think um, I might be going ahead, but um, I think something that was special was that we also had a little bit of time after at, in the spot, in the location. Um, so it did kind of feel like this long like time and we had some time invested into the experience of the whole thing um so rather than it just being like one wedding day um it felt a little bit expanded that's really cool and i mean especially because they were coming his family was coming in from outside the country then taking that additional time to spend with them like that was i'm sure that was a huge deal for them um, if they had never, if they had never been on a flight, you know, out of the country, then going up to Maine is, that's a, I mean, that's also a hike. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's a long flight. Like you're spanning, you know, to the very top of the United States from really far down in South America. Yeah. Yes. It was really, really, um, special, um, they did that. Um, his brother did that. Some some of his friends did that. So it was – and, like, by the way, this was in 2016, so <laughs> long before any COVID conversations. But um, it was really, really special to have everyone, you know, make that effort. And like I said uh, earlier, there were also um, some friends and family members that came from really far too. So the whole thing did feel to us – very, very unique and special. That's amazing. So I know you put a lot of effort into your vows and that they were really important, uh, like the most important, I would say, part of your wedding, it sounds like, from what you were telling me. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your vows and what you incorporated into them. So yeah, I felt like at the time, I felt like, why would I get married <laughs> if I'm not like actually committing to something? Like I need to know exactly what I'm committing to is how I felt. Like I just didn't want to do it to do it, check something off my like life <laughs> experience. Um, I really needed to know why. And the wedding in particular felt like that as well. Like I was like, no, this has a purpose. This has a reason. And like, 
I, for myself, need to know that very clearly. Um, so that's what the vows represented to me. I took them very seriously and I like researched. I had my sister send me the outline of her wedding. Oh, she also had a bilingual wedding. Um, so that was very helpful. So she sent me the outline of her wedding and then I like researched all of these other things and we are not specifically religious. So it was non-denominational. And um, so the language that we used was very, very important for us as well um, because we really wanted to have each word like, have impact and meaning and be like as exactly what we mean as possible. Um, and so, um, so I broke down into categories, um, like the main themes of what we wanted to commit to. Um, a, a few other things that were important were, um, we wanted to use language that didn't indicate that the only way we could get out of this commitment was death. <laughs> um, like we just wanted to be really clear that we, um, we basically agreed that we're not saying that we're going to be married for the rest of our lives. Like, absolutely. Like we just wanted to be very clear about that. Like we're, we're going to be in this, as long as it's working for both of us and we want to be in this. Um, and I have a feeling that's, you know, probably what a lot of people think, but I just like needed to be so specific about it. Um, I, I feel like maybe looking back now, I mean, maybe it was like a fear of commitment or something. Um, but that just, yeah, really was a, a through line throughout the whole process. So like another example is, um, we just, we wanted to say, I choose you instead of I do. Um, and so we had a lot of those little things that were like, we were like, no, this doesn't feel quite right. So we're just going to change it a little bit. And um, going back to the vows. Um, so I had a couple different categories of things that were important for us to commit to. And um, I also wanted them to be things that we could commit to each other Um even if we were no longer married. Um, so um, we ended up having this beautiful book um, that we wrote it all out in. And the officiant had this, and it's all written out in both English and Spanish. And so like I, for example, would say a vow in either English or Spanish and then hand it, hand the book to my husband and he would repeat that vow in the other language back to me. And then he said the next vow, like, I'm not sure if I'm explaining this well, but we were flip-flopping languages. You alternated languages. We so alternated you... languages. Yeah. So we each got a chance to say the vow to each other in the opposite language. Um, and then, so it was sort of like, it felt like this whole choreographed thing. <laughs> um, but it also in that way, it felt very ceremonial and it felt very, um, like it had the intention that felt right to me. Um, I didn't want it to just be flippant. Like I wanted to take that part really seriously. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's like that, that's my favorite part. I of, really of the love wedding. that. I really love that. That's, and I like that you didn't just go with the language that you grew up speaking. You alternated who spoke which language. Yes, and it's really funny. I know listeners can't see this, but I'm showing you the book, and um, it's funny. I was looking back in this before we got on, and I phonetically wrote out my Spanish because my Spanish is not up to par, um, and. I don't know, just little details about that looking back are just feel really sweet and like, you know, and even our officiant, our friend also did the same thing. He, under the lines that I had written, he wrote out like some phonetic words for so that he would, you know, have the pronunciation and um, doesn't seem like a big deal, but I don't know, looking back on that just feels really heartwarming and, and sweet. Well, it meant a lot, you know, it was, it was an important detail for you two and, and for the three of you, including your officiant. Yeah. Um, 
and wanting it to be a reflection of you all as a couple and moving forward and the commitment that you were making to one another. Yeah. Yeah. And it really felt that way. And I think kind of anything that happened outside of that, I was okay with because that was the most meaningful thing about it to me. That and having, you know, all the people. Yeah. I love that. That's amazing. Um, It sounds like you had such an incredible wedding day and it sounds like it was really meaningful. And since I vaguely uh, heard your husband making a snack for himself (laughs) and helping you with your audio, it seems like you two are – uh, are very happy and have a still have that lighthearted, warm relationship. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. We um, we unofficially uh, told each other that we were committing to five years of marriage. We're we're obviously silly like this. I mean, there's no legality involved in that, but um, that's what we told each other, and that's where we are right now. We're at five years, and we. You're right. I mean, you could see that, and we do just still feel, um, you know, lighthearted and, and really enjoying, you know, our relationship and our life together. So, um, we're going to do another five and then (laughs) reevaluate every five. Yeah. (laughs) We just hit nine yesterday in my house. So congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. We've been together for 14, uh, nine married. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'll let you know next year when we reevaluate yeah. at 10. Reevaluate at 10 and 15. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of this today. Um, where can people find you online? I know you're you're a movement and body coach. Yes. So in people can find me just at my name, which is Elise Sparks. And it's a little tricky because there's a silent E at the end of the spark. So it's E-L-Y-S-E-S-P-A-R-K-E-S. So basically uh, .com for the website. And then also my social media, I'm mostly on Instagram and a little bit of Facebook um, are also under my name. So um, they can find me there. Awesome. Um, And I highly recommend you do because she is just delightful. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been a blast. Really, really fun. It truly has. And thank you so much for being here. Um, And thank you all, everyone who tuned in today on The Wedding Dish. Um, We are so glad that Elise was able to join us. She shared so much great information. I'm really excited for this episode to go out to the airwaves so that everyone can learn from all the cool things that you did. And um, If you are interested in um, checking us out on social media, we are at The Wedding Dish. We are, sorry, we are at The Wedding Dish Podcast, and that is our website as well, theweddingdishpodcast.com. You can grab show notes where you'll get to read Elise's um, story of how she met her husband and the proposal, plus a few other funny details. Uh, Spoiler alert, dudism is involved. And... (laughs) We are committed to accessibility, so um, we will have the transcripts there as well. You can apply to be a guest or send us um, juicy wedding tips and all kinds of stuff like that. So um, thank you all again for tuning into The Wedding Dish. Elise, thank you so much for being here. And until next time, cheers, everybody. Cheers. Thanks, Sarah. I've done. <laughs> never, never happened. I've done – over a hundred proposals. Um, I think I've this year I've been averaging five or six a month, which is a lot. Um, but yeah, that's um, a lot. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Um, I, I just completely completely lost my train of thought. Um, anyway, you can continue with your questioning. <laughs> Um, so, okay, let's assume, you know, whether or not you two, it works for you as a couple to have a photographer. Um, how do you choose the right photographer for you? What are some of the key Um, points when you're looking at someone's portfolio and, or communicating with them? Um, I mean, in terms of picking a photographer, it's just like picking a photographer for anything else. You have to one, like their style, which is, yeah. I mean, it, I won't say the, uh, it's probably like, 
it's not most important. It's probably half as important. I mean, there's important parts of choosing a photographer. One is their personality. Two is the style. If you like their style but hate their personality, you're not going to have a good time. Yeah. Um, if you love their personality and they're a horrible photographer, you're not going to have a good time. So you have to or look. Or you'll be you'll regret it later. Yes. <laughs> you exactly. See yes. So I mean, it's just like choosing a photographer for a wedding. You want to you know, like their style, um, and you want to be you you want to know that you'll be comfortable with them, and um, you you want to know you'll be comfortable with having them at such an important moment, at such a um, you know pivotal moment of their relationship. You don't just want some some dude or chick, you know, just kind of there, you know, if you don't know how they're, how, how they work and how they think about the, the proposal. Um, let's see. Um, and in terms of like communication and things mm-hmm. like you, you've been going through, you know, I, I send them a map, I send them yeah. like this and that and all those things, you know, how, um, what would be some things that would help people determine whether or not they need that level of expertise versus, um, you know, somebody who's just going to show up and shoot? Um, well, in my opinion, you need that level. Of, you, you, everyone needs that level of expertise, whether or not they know it. Um, I agree. You, if you're proposing to someone, you don't want to leave anything up to chance. And if you're gonna, if you're gonna choose, a, if you're gonna hire a photographer for a couple hundred bucks. Um, and you, uh, you want to be sure that they're going to capture it. You want to, you obviously are, um, at the point where, you know, you know, at some level a friend's not going to do the capturing, um, effectively. So you're hiring a photographer. So make sure you hire a photographer who knows what they're doing and who has, you know, a deep, uh, a deep knowledge of the the process. I mean, cause like I said, yeah. I've done a hundred of these things, my process, I add to my process pretty much every time I do a shoot, something I, I think of something new and I add it to my, you know, my how-to guide that I send to all my, my clients on, you know, the process of the logistics of doing the proposal. Um, for example, recently, well, um, I, I had two couples recently who I, I did, I shot the proposal, but, um, the person they were proposing to, um, was not looking towards the camera. So I didn't capture their facial reactions and, um, the person proposing was displeased that I did not capture their facial reactions, um, which is understandable. But at the same time, that's completely out of, out of my control um, for many reasons. I can't just like yell, hey, turn around, face me. Um, so now as part of my process, I draw uh, on my diagrams. I clearly indicate lines of sight um, and I tell them and I tell them, OK, you need to make sure that her or his back is to the monument and your back is to me. You need to have that happen. Otherwise I cannot guarantee I will get their facial expression, which is important. And I make it abundantly clear that that's the only way to ensure um, that I get the facial reaction. And I even, I even put that in my contract and bolded it just because I, I want to make it super abundantly clear. This must be one of your highest considerations. If you care about, you know, capturing their facial expression, which most people do. Yeah. I mean, of course, like there's so many things that are out of control. If, if the fate, you know, you can't jump in the water and, um, I understand it's a very, it's a very stressful moment and I probably wouldn't be able to remember anything someone told me in that moment. Um, but if there's one thing I, you know, try to stress to people is that to remember in that stressful situation is just make sure they're facing me or at least sideways to me, as long as their back's not to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and another consideration in that is that oftentimes your photographer is using a, um, you know, a a telephoto lens Mm -hmm. because they don't want to be part of your moment. They want to capture your moment and you don't want them up in your space. Um, So, you know, for them to then run to another location, they can miss that whole moment um, because it is a larger arc. So um, if you're on your knee for 10 seconds, there's absolutely no way I could get to another spot, um, which would capture the other person's uh, you know, reaction to the proposal. Yeah. 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 I totally am with you. I mean, I was upset that I didn't capture their facial expression. And like I said, it's understandable in those two situations that, you know, they weren't entirely pleased that I didn't capture the facial expression, but you know, it's a proposal. 
I make it abundantly clear that everything is not not everything's up to chance, but there's a you know there's a, a good portion of the logistical um, planning that you know stresses that even though there's logistical planning, a lot of this is left up to chance, and we have to just sort of accept that. Yeah, there are a lot of moving parts. There are a lot of variables, and that's one of the reasons that you hire somebody. Um, that I would encourage everyone listening to hire somebody who has that level of expertise in that thorough, um, you know, who is that thorough so that the moment goes as smoothly as possible. So you don't have to think about it when it's happening. You know, you already are on autopilot knowing what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Moving parts and variables is a way better way of saying it than how I said it. (laughs) So I'm glad that you, you said that. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being here and joining me on the wedding dish today. How can people find you online? Um, they can check out my website at chrisforenzi.com um, for the spelling. Just look in the show notes because it's hard to spell. Um, people always misspell it. And if I spell it out loud, you'll mistake the N for an M or the Z for a C. So just 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 look at the show notes. Or you can go to my Instagram at chrisdelta, just chris and then D-E-L-T-A. It has nothing to do with the Delta variant. <laughs> Um, I thought of that the other day. <laughs> I have, I've had that 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 name, that screen name, since like 1996, and it's based off Star Trek Voyager because, of course, it is because they were in the Delta Quadrant of yep. the the galaxy. So, hence Chris Delta. But now it's sort of it's sort of sort of taken on a new a new meaning, which is unfortunate. But I know, I know. Um, I'm just gonna <laughs> just gonna hope it. Um. I hope it, you know I can I can weather the storm with my screen name, which is one of the most important things, right? Oh yes, of course, that is of utmost yeah. importance. Um, yes, and I would definitely check Chris's um, Instagram out. Check out his website. He is a super talented photographer. Um, he's one of my favorite people to work with. Um, he's also one of the people that I love receiving his preview photos that he sends me because um, we share. You know, we're friends, so we share some of our favorite photos from different things that we do. And, um, and I just love it because it's always something different and cool and really unique. And it's very inspiring. Well, that's, that's so like, nice of I you. Inspi- I like being <laughs> inspiring. <laughs> I really shocked you on that, didn't I? <laughs> you did. I kind of wish you all could see his face. He was a little bit like I hit him with a, a, um, sock with a tennis ball in it or something. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never been, never thought of myself as inspiring, but I'll take it. <laughs> well, you gotta, because I said it. There we go. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being here. Uh, it's always such a pleasure to have you. Um, and I appreciate all of you tuning into The Wedding Dish today. And if you would like to give us a follow on Instagram, you'll see some of Chris's awesome photos on there um, at The Wedding Dish Podcast. And you can visit our website, theweddingdishpodcast.com to read our show notes, apply to be a guest on the show. Um, You can donate so that we can keep bringing you juicy wedding tips and tricks from couples and wedding pros alike. And you can get the transcripts from this episode because we are committed to accessibility. And don't forget to turn tune in next week. We have another amazing wedding um, story that we're talking about. And until then, cheers, everybody.